tax inspections, I've had uh, CQC inspections, you name it, I've had it. Who can learn enough in seven days to be proficient enough to be let loose on somebody's face? Nobody. So in my head, I was going to be this famous, you know, star. I was going to be a singer. I, I finally got to meet you. I'm like... <laughs> Welcome back to Emily Abraham Presents a Love Luxury Podcast. Today I have with me Maxine McCarthy, who is the founder of Cosmetic Couture. Hi, Maxine. Hi. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How was your journey down? It was quite quite smooth, actually. Yeah. Because you've come from Lots Manchester. Lots of work. <laughs> you've been doing work, <laughs> work on the way. Work along the way, non-stop. That's the way my husband does it as well. I do the yeah. driving. I enjoy driving because it gives me a chance to get everything done. Do you, but you're not driving. Oh, no, no, no. You have a driver. I do, yes. So in our family, I'm the driver. Oh, are you? Yeah, because <laughs> I, I get car sick. Right. So he's the he's the passenger being chauffeured around, and I'm the professional driver. It's the other way around with my other half. Is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just a little bit about Maxine. So I've watched you for many years. I've been following your journey yes. as you've been going along, and you are actually <laughs> a trailblazer. You are a leading star in aesthetics. You have set the path for literally everybody else, and I've always looked up to you. Because the people that are watching this will know that I used to do aesthetics and okay. I have a massive passion for it. Mm -hmm. You've never, you don't know of me, you've never met me before today. No. But I've known of you for a really long time, which is why I was desperate to get you on the show. Because I really wanted to hear about your story mm -hmm. and your insights of how you feel that the industry's changed over the years. Yes. And where you see it going. But before we get into that, yeah. Can we talk a little bit about your childhood, where you we came can. from? And, yeah, just tell us a bit about your childhood. So I came from Belfast. Um, we moved to Manchester, and that's where my life started. Um, very family-orientated, sisters, brothers, and, yeah, just in general, when I was younger, I always aspired to be something, but I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. I knew I was very passionate, I was very into sports, um, a little bit of an entertainer um, and I just like challenges so I was a very challenging child and I gave my mum and dad the run around. I bet you did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> so you came from Belfast to Manchester and it was it's in Manchester that your businesses are based yes. and where you started your businesses mm -hmm. but we there's a side of you that some people in aesthetics may not know. Yes. So you had a life before aesthetics. I did. Tell us a little bit about that. So in the aesthetic industry, people see me as uh, somebody quite challenging who usually fights against people. And that's because I stand up for what I believe in. So I can get to that later on. But my background started with musical. So okay. um, I come from a family that's very musical, instruments, singing. And that's where my life started. So in my head, I was going to be this famous, you know, star. I was going to be a singer. And it completely changed. Um, it then transferred into sport, where I went on to become a professional boxer and an undefeated one as well. Um, and then from that, I went into aesthetics. So it's very diverse. It's music, professional boxing, and then into aesthetics, and then onto property. So tell me how you got into boxing. Accident. <laughs> really? Yes. I think in life, things happen for a reason. I think you're in the right place at the right time. And I think... Yeah, it just happened by accident and I just thought, I actually like this, so I'm going to give it, you know, 100% um, and then I turned professional. 
So Tom Brugan, yes. is that how you say his name? Yeah. So he was doing a box, a film about boxing training amateurs, wasn't he? He was. So when I was at university, I happened to think, well, I need to lose a bit of weight. I've put a little bit on, you know, university life, drinking. And so I thought, I'll do a bit of boxing. I thought my dad was professional, so I thought I'll go and do it, you know, just for fitness. And then I bumped into this man and he was really odd. It looked like, I don't know if ever, anyone's ever seen it, but the film Shameless. Yeah, I know. Yeah, really odd. And I was really drawn to him. And he was such a nice person. And he said, have you ever thought of turning professional? And I thought, not really. Blonde hair, big nails. I thought, no. Mm. But I started going and I started to like it. I started to lose weight. I felt better. I started sparring. I met Ricky Hatton, um, other professionals. And I actually loved the sport. Then I had my first professional fight. Packed it out completely. I used my business head, sold thousands of tickets, and I won. And then from that day, the feeling that I got and how um, empowered I felt after it, I transferred that into everything else in my life. So just sticking with boxing for a little bit longer, mm -hmm. you said you were undefeated. Yes. How many fights did you have in total? I had six in total. Um, it was very difficult then because female boxing wasn't as big. Mm. So I had plenty of fights, but... Mm. When it got to it, they pulled out. Mm. Um, I did go to fight for an Irish title. Again, pulled before you. So you do all the training, you get really geared up for it, and then it can be pulled beneath you. Whereas now, it's completely different. So if we would have rewinded back, maybe I would have had better opportunities. But I did fight on Eurosport and Sky, and my biggest viewings were two and a half million. So I was just going to touch on that. Yeah. How did it feel to know that you were being watched by so many people? Because that's a massive audience. I actually performed better. Did you? Yeah. I had, um, I'm, I'm a big believer of um, things like meditation and uh, lucky stones. So I always have tiger's eye. So before every fight, I would always have one. <laughs> really? Yeah. And you felt like that was your lucky talisman? Well, maybe. Thing. It was probably placebo, but in my head, I thought, it's working. It did I keep winning. Yeah, it did the job. Yeah. So that is that in itself was a massive achievement. It was, yeah. To be on Sky Sports. Being yeah, and, it, and it, gained, it gained me respect because it takes balls to get in the ring, basically. It does, you know, to do that in front of that many people. And basically, I came from no amateur background. I went straight into the pro ranks. Mm. So it was a gamble, but the gamble paid off. Were you never worried? Because I've always been really interested in boxing. Yeah. I, I, it's the only sport I will watch, yeah. actually. Oh, I love it. I love <laughs> boxing. And I always thought, oh, I should do boxing. But I was always like, nah, your face will get messed up. So I always had that sort of thing in my head. Yeah. Did, did you ever worry about your, your aesthetic when you were training and think, going into these fights and thinking, actually, I could, my whole face could be smashed up? I, d I did, but um, I thought my nose is too small. It used to get missed quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody said, did your nose get damaged? A little bit, you know, yeah. there's a bit of cartilage damage. But I didn't really think because I was enjoying it that much and how it made me feel... Um, I wasn't bothered. So there's one thing about sports people. Yes. That when they're in the eye, there's that adrenaline rush of doing what they're doing. So there's mm. footballers have it, boxers have it, any yes. kind of sportsman has it. When they're going into the match, when you're going into the fight, you feel that massive surge of adrenaline going into your body. Yes. When you're not doing that anymore, how do you replace that? I'm glad you say that because it's something that I discuss quite a lot with people. Um, sports people, coming from that right down yes. to here, I think it could probably cause um, 
mental health issues. It does, doesn't it? Yes. So you've got to channel it. Unfortunately, some athletes don't have the right management behind them. They don't have the head to match the skill. So they suffer with mental health. And I've seen that because I still keep my foot in with boxing gyms. I'm still, I go in, I, you know, I donate to charities. I actually run a charity boxing gym at one point. So I do try to help, but I think that you have to channel it. But in boxing, I always self-managed. I promoted myself. Um, I basically did everything to get on TV, to get onto the, the newspapers, to do everything. I actually built my own profile. So the thing with me after boxing was I transferred it into something else. And I think that's important if you can. Yeah. So you yeah. Ha you found a path afterwards, which is mm -hmm. a lot, like you said, these sports people, they're all the way up there. Their career finishes because they get to a certain age or yeah. something happens. They get used. Yeah. They do get used. It, it is sad, isn't it? It is because you've got the lower end of the spectrum, which is ticket sellers. So mm -hmm. basically they're never going to get to that level. And then the top level, as soon as your time is spent and if you don't win your fights, and you've discarded, mm -hmm. and then it's the next one. It's the next yeah. golden boy or golden girl. So you're lucky that you had... Well, not lucky, because you've worked for it. Yes. I don't like using that word. When you've worked for something, it's not luck. It's hard work that's got you there. I think it lands there. I think everybody has an opportunity, but it's whether you take it. So we can all, you know, pass it by and think... Some people stay in the same job for years, and they'll never change. Mm. But some people like an opportunity. So if you see it, seize it. Seize it, mm -hmm. Yeah. I actually, there's this saying, isn't there? When one door closes, another door opens. Yeah, my mum always used to say that. As but well. <laughs> the end of that saying is, but most people stand staring at the closed door long enough that they don't see the other doors opening. Yes. And I think that's, you come across to me as a person that when that door's shut, you're not looking back thinking, Never. oh my God, why is the door closed? You're thinking, right, when's the next door going to open and what is that next door? That's yes. how you come across to me. Yeah. You're not, uh, you're not, the past is gone, it's done. Yeah, I'm not a past person. Sometimes people bring up the past and go, oh, did I? Yeah. But I'm not, I'm more of a now. Yeah. Um, I don't always look to the future, it's always now. What I'm going to see is now, mm. what's the next thing? Mm. Which is a really positive way of thinking, isn't mm. it? And I think that that mindset seems to be people that do well. People, yes. success, successful people have mm. that mindset. And you are successful. You had a gym. You said you told us just now you had a gym. Yes. But you also set up a charity, didn't you? Yeah, it was a charity gym. So basically, I still wanted to keep um, a little bit inside of the boxing, but obviously I had my business side as well. So I just wanted to help people in the community. So we actually um, was on BBC Two. We did, um, a f uh, it was a documentary. What was it called? can't remember actually but it'll come to me but we did a documentary and were filmed and what they did was they followed the lives of four women who that I actually trained and helped okay. um auction hero something like that was yeah. called um and it was really good so yeah I did give a lot back but in the end it was too too much running a business so you've got a passion but you've also got your money that you're earning and unfortunately I had to let it go and concentrate on business yeah because you've got a family and you've got, mm -hmm. you know, aspirations and and, yeah. and charity is only sustainable if you're making money. Yeah, I mean, we did. We got donations and things like that. But it's also very draining as well. So if you're giving time, people who do a lot of charity work will understand that it's very time consuming. And people do suck the life out of you and it can affect you. And that's yeah. the truth. Yeah, of course it can. How did cosmetic couture come about how did you train in for cosmetic and getting into the cosmetic industry come about tell us about that journey 
Um, by accident. Again, <laughs> but I seized the moment. <laughs> um, it was an advertisement in a paper. And basically what it said was that, are you a non-medic? Do you want to train in aesthetics with a beauty qualification? Well, I didn't have one, but I was in my second year of university and I just finished um, I got my grades. And I basically rang them and said, can I train? And they said, yes. So just stop, let me just stop you there. What were you doing at uni? Sports science. Okay. I said, these are the qualifications, sent them across, spoke to um, someone from the insurance and they said, yes, you can train. So I thought, amazing. I love Botox. I love aesthetics. And, you know, I was a bit self-obsessed. I loved um, training and how I looked. And I think that that age and that time made me self-obsessed. So I thought, this is amazing. I need to do this. So I did the training and straight away, I'm quite streetwise. I knew something wasn't right. Mm. Um, and the nurse that actually she taught me at the time she was very good as well and quite professional, but I knew after the course that this industry is not regulated and I shouldn't really be doing this. And so me and the nurse, we fell out probably about six weeks later because I wasn't like the other girls. I was challenging her saying, what's this, what's that? And she just wanted rid of me. Mm. <laughs> um, so then after that, that just led me on a 13-year journey that, you know, what I'm doing I've been brought into this industry, but now people are trying to stop me. And I thought, you're not going to stop me. Mm. So that it went from there. So you talked about this course that you found in the yes. newspaper. How long was the course? What was the duration of it? It was two days, um, Botox and dermal fillers. I brought my own models. Um, and yeah, the theory side, I flew through the theory. I did the practical, but nothing was taught about complications, about highlights, about if things go wrong. All these things that I had to self-taught, discover them, try and get cover for them with insurances, that come way down the line. Because what I was doing was experiencing adverse effects, but with no um, no intervention, no help. And when I was asking her, she was fobbing me off and fobbing me off. And uh, the relationship ended there. And then I just... So that's, to me, having been in aesthetics is a very common story. Mm -hmm. Two day courses, not having any support afterwards, having yep. to then self teach, having to then some a lot of people that have come to me, I've actually sent to your your oh, right. your your um academy because so many people do these two day courses, mm -hmm. they absolutely are completely unprepared. They it's not two days is not enough for no. anyone to learn full facial anatomy. And to have the know-how to not cause occlusions and yes. all of these terrible things that can happen, paralysis and everything else, and 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 um, allergic reactions and you know there's so many aspects of this industry that are not covered on these two-day courses. But not only that, it's having the skill to recognise that something's gone wrong. And I've heard this story so many times. So, so many people have come to me and said, I did a two-day course. I'm not going to lie. I did I did exactly the same as you. I did a two-day course. And yeah. the woman who trained us was then, had all of her, her qualifications taken away from her. Mm -hmm. And there was a group of us that trained with her. And we were like, oh, my God, have we made the biggest mistake of our lives? It wasn't cheap. It wasn't yeah. the most expensive. It wasn't cheap, though. And... Do we even still have a qualification? So these Qual qualification, though, it's it's not. It's, is not, it? it's a piece of paper. Yeah, it's just a it's just a certificate, isn't it? Yeah. At the end of the day, 
And all of these people that I've come in contact with over the years, I've always sent them in your direction because I know that if anybody's going to do a course, they should do it with Cosmetic Couture because it's not a two-day course. It's home study. It's doing the tests. It's proving that they can do things, you know, perform these treatments to a high enough standard that when they leave your training academy that they feel confident enough but also having the knowledge that they've got your team to back them up afterwards yeah and that's the problem that I see with the industry and I think you would agree is that like you were a trailblazer you were determined to make things change Mm -hmm. and you've done that because you've given people what you didn't have yeah I did um and I always fall under scrutiny as well about you teach non-medics and I hear the same thing mm. over and over again. But 13 years on, I've been in business for 13 years and throughout that time, I have brought things in, created a pathway. I've got a charity for non-medics where we, we are a registered charity. We offer help and advice and there's so many things that I've done and I don't feel that I get credit for it. The industry now has completely changed and if... I'm asked, do I believe in non-medics doing treatments? I'm sat on the fence now. And the reason for that is, is because of the fast track pathways. We used to have beauty therapists, Sodesco trained to the higher level. They were very easy to train. Mm. But now even the insurances have opened up their own pathway. Mm. So you can contact your insurance broker and get your own pathway, which is done in seven days. So that's your entry into aesthetics right to the very end. So where the industry is going. Yeah, I agree with you 100% Mm. because who can learn enough in seven days to be proficient enough to be let loose on somebody's face? Mm. Nobody. I don't don't think anybody can uh, with zero knowledge of the industry. Mm -hmm. I think, like you said, having had a beauty background, studying facial anatomy and physiology Mm. and then having a progression onto that, so a slow and steady progression rather than this rush, but... I feel, and I don't know if you agree, that this became a lot worse from lockdown. People were sat at home and they were thinking to themselves, what can I do? What can I study? What can I become? Yeah. And everybody was offering online courses. Everybody was saying, you know, book onto my course and then when lockdown finishes, you can come and do a two-day course. It was a way of them to maintain an income Yeah. so that when lockdown finished, they had some money Yeah. because people were panicking. Mm. I mean, I must admit, during lockdown, as a company, we made the most money we ever did because we were the first company to put the pre-study online. So not the, you can do a course online. It was, do your theory now and do your practical later. So obviously everybody, you know, the internet was at the highest it ever was. So we were so busy. We were actually inundated. We've we've trained, we must have trained over 20,000, if not more, students. And during lockdown, that that did really increase. Um, People were wanting a new career. And the way that the industry is glamorised now as an aesthetic practitioner, it's the norm. Mm. You know, 2018, 2019, people were weary to get into the industry. Mm. Now it's like it's a normal thing. It's not. Yeah. Yeah, there's no... There's no difference now. It's just, I want to do beauty. I want to do aesthetics. Yeah, I agree with you. And aesthetic clinics are on every street corner. Everywhere. Everywhere. The competition's huge. But going back to you setting up Cosmetic Couture, tell me about some of the struggles that you faced whilst you were trying to set the business up. Well, firstly, I've written a book on it. (laughs) Okay, so what's the book called? Well, 
You didn't bring it with you, which is a real shame. No, but I'm waiting. This is going to be the right time to put that out. But okay. the book needs an ending, and I do feel the ending's coming very okay. soon. Um, but basically, the book is called Beyond the Needle. Okay. There's a picture of the ring, and there's a picture of me, you know, in my boxing. Yeah. And then there's a picture of the needle. But the actual name of the book, I, I wanted to call it something different, mm. um, which was Bitches with Needles, because... <laughs> <laughs> This industry is catter. It, it very, it's so much. It, it is. is. I mean, I've had inspections. I've had undercover reporters. I've gone up against Jeremy Kyle. Been on Granada with Pierce Morgan discussing the subject. I've had um, tax inspections. I've had uh, CQC inspections. You name it, I've had it. I've had articles written about me. I've had online bullying. I've had troll trolling. So they're one of the highest levels. Um, I've had to have injunctions put on people. Um, and at one point, I took my students to do a cadaver dissection yeah. um, at university. And we did um, like a discussion after it. And we were speaking about um, the difference between non-medics and medics. And I agree to a certain point. There is an element where we need the intervention of a medic when adverse effects arise. And when I released this video, I didn't realise it was going to go viral. Um, so when I turned up at work, there was paparazzi and... And I went, oops. <laughs> I thought, oh no, it could go either way. But yeah. it didn't actually. As the saying goes, all publicity is good publicity. Um, and it actually propelled the business. So it was more uh, mainstream then. And people learned about cosmetic couture. And they thought, I want to train with her. And then I did interviews with people after it about why I did it. And why I strongly believe that me uh, non-medics should do treatments. If I was asked again now... I'm like that. Your views might have changed. Only if they've had proper training and if they do more um, more regulated qualifications that are coming on. Because there is no pathway now, mm. they've not got that underpinning knowledge, they've not got the beauty background, they don't know about anatomy and physiology, and I don't think you can do that in seven days. And I agree with you 100%. Mm. And I, as, So I come from a background where I studied beauty at college, mm -hmm. And then I did beauty for many years and then I was always doing my top up courses, you know, yeah. getting my CPD points as I was going along. And then I went to university. So I actually before I went to university, I went to college and I did another course. So I did an access into nursing and that was heavily anatomy and physiology. And even while I was doing that and we were focusing solely on the interest of going into uni to do nursing, it's really hardcore. Like... There's so many aspects to A&P and people just, you cannot cover it in, in five days or seven days or, or two days. It's not possible. Yeah. It's not possible to remember. It's not possible to have the understanding. It takes time for that to build. And I think I'm with you. At the beginning, I was like, oh, well, as long as they're trained and, you know, they've got their, you know, they've had a good training course, then it should be yeah. OK. But I I now look at the industry and I'm like, this person's got it. If you ask a group of people, you're going to find at least three or four people in that group or in that room that are doing aesthetics. Yeah, of course. So many people are at it. Yeah. And they don't realise. I mean, people say, how risky is it? Well, I mean, according to stats, you know, the, the risk of blindness, the risk of, of certain things, it is actually quite low. Um, but a lot of aesthetic practitioners who are coming in, you couldn't, you wouldn't trust them. Mm. <laughs> you couldn't, not after the short training that they've had. 
But it's not just the short training that's the issue, though, is mm. it? It's the insurance, like we spoke yes. about. It's the backup, which is yeah. really important. It's knowing how to handle the complication. Mm -hmm. But not only that, it's where do you get your products from? Yeah. Because how, in my mind, I see people popping up and they're offering Botox for £99. Well, it's... How? It's, yeah, they're just buying it online. That's the thing. They're not, they're not doing it for a prescriber. But then we can flip the coin mm. on the medic side. Now, obviously, we're speaking about the non-medic side, but there's lots of medics who will train non-medics. There's lots who will do illegal prescriptions. There's lots who will do uh, selling uh, prescription medicines as well. So there's a bad side to that side as well. 100%. You know, and they make mistakes too. And sometimes we fix other people's work. And it's not just non-medics. It's pretty... Even <laughs> it is, and I was actually going to broach that subject with you. So, because I have the uh, support groups on mm -hmm. on Facebook and online, we see a lot of stuff because you do, yeah. yeah. And we have had people that have posted on there that a nurse has done their lips and it's gone wrong, mm -hmm. um, and the nurse doesn't want to know because, as far as the nurse is concerned, she's followed the rules. Yeah. And if it's gone wonky and bumpy or it's turned into an occlusion or it wasn't anything to do with me. And then you have, like you said, so that happens. It does happen. Yeah. You know, there's no at the end of the day, a, a doctor can make a mistake just the same as somebody who's not a doctor can make a mistake. Mm -hmm. um, there's a very famous lady in America. She's really well known. I follow her on social media. And I just so happened to catch that she'd been to a doctor who's a surgeon and he'd given her tear trough filler. Yeah. And it turned into an occlusion and she had to have emergency dissolving and like literally she was going back every three hours. They were checking her every three hours. So he was a really well-known doctor in America. So it can happen to anybody. But would that follow-up have happened? Let's say, for instance, I covered a topic um, last week, which was training in hotels. Yes. So they were offering training in hotels. What if there was an adverse effect? How are they going to follow up? You know, mm. if they've travelled from Glasgow to go and teach in Manchester, that's one of the big issues. Um, and one of the biggest issues at the moment is using highlays on the same day. So you're dissolving and refilling on the same day, which is absolutely crazy. For many reasons, isn't it? Mm -hmm. One, you're not insured. Yep. Two, what does it do to the facial anatomy, the tissue? Still breaking down. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, what's the? Why would anybody? I d to me, that doesn't even correlate in my brain. Yeah. You're dissolving tissue with a product. Sorry, sorry, dissolving the um, hyaluronic acid with a product. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That product is a dissolver, as a side effect. Yeah, that's what it does. It dissolves. And then you're re-putting the product back in on top of the dissolver. What's it? It's, it can only break it down again. Yeah. it's um, <clears throat> We've seen a lot of people are talking about at the moment, but it's like saying I can control the tide. They're using a spatula to mould it in. You can't control hyaluronidase and how it, it works on each in individual. You can't? No. So it's... it's um something bad's going to happen because it's got a dispersal area of like 50p hasn't it depending yeah. on how you, you dilute you dilute migration yeah. yeah so it's not controllable no <laughs> it's crazy isn't it but again it just boils down to this industry you mm. do what you want <laughs> which is right and which is where you come in here because you do a lot of podcasts you do a lot of um live chats where you are talking to people who are also in the industry 
um, and in your team. And you'll have discussions with people about the new legislations that are trying to yeah. be brought in. I honestly, I'm not going to lie to you. I've seen them. I've watched 30 seconds and then I've had a phone call and I've had to get out of the room and I can't watch them. And then I'm always so busy that I don't go back. But I always kick myself because you're, those things that you produce that are things that I want to sit down and watch. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about your views on what the government, what, what the rumours are that, you know, that are going around the mill at the moment. So if we go back to 2013, that was Health Education England, there was a massive launch into the industry and that was to collate data and find out what was going on with non-medics. So all of those years later, we're now in 2023 and there's actually talks about it, but there's still nothing set in stone. Mm. So there's four points that have been raised. One of them is that dermal fillers will categorically not go into POM. Okay. So they're going to stay the way they are. Um, qualification... They're talking about it. It's not set in stone. We do know at the moment there's Qualify, which is um, an off-qual regulated qualification. That is the only thing that is around at the moment that maybe the government might, might recommend, but they're not at that stage. They're still consulting about it. There are talks about premises license and personal licenses, but again, it's discussions. So whether that comes about or not, who knows? What do you see? Do you think that they're going to do anything to change the industry? I think that the government will say, well, there is regulated qualifications out there. Um, premises license is a possibility, but can the councils handle it? They did it with SPMU. They did it with other things. Um, I think that there are other pressing issues. They don't seem that bothered. It seems to be the JCCP that's calling for evidence, feeding it back to the government, and to them, it's black and white. Well, you've got CQC, you've got qualifications. I personally don't think probably another eight years. You think? Yeah. Yeah, which is a long time in this industry because for all of these people that we've spoken about that have rushed into aesthetics since lockdown or just around lockdown and after, mm -hmm. that the likelihood of them still being around is very few. It's a slim chance, isn't it? Yeah, and if the government bring it in before it'll stamp out the cowboys because they will not be able to deliver these qualifications. I'm delivering them at the moment, and it's tough. Mm. It's long. Um, it requires teachers, level seven educators, um, really you know, proper qualifications to deliver it. These type of people that are offering uh, qualifications, well, certificates, mm. as I put them, they're not going to be able to deliver it. But my fear is the way the industry is at the moment, it's a price war. Mm. So it will stamp out the bigger companies, because they're not going to be able to compete against the for now people, as they call them. Mm. So that's the issue I think we're facing at the moment, that people are choosing price over quality. And unfortunately, customers are getting treatments and there's more and more adverse effects that we're seeing. And I see this through the charity that I run. So we get lots of images, pictures, people sending things in and asking, you know, what is this? Can you help? Mm. What is that charity? It's called us? the ACPB. Um, so it's been around for about seven years. Um, we get charity funding and basically we give advice to people, uh, members of the public contact as well. Which is great. Yeah, it's, it's important. We're not a regulatory body, but we can try and assist and help. Mm. And when you, so your um, training academy in Manchester mm -hmm. is called Cosmetic Couture yes. Training Academy. And I know personally that actually it's really, like you said, it's not easy you don't just stand up and teach a course 
You yeah. have to submit the course. You have to submit the training that the person's done. That has to be regulated. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of aspects that people wouldn't understand that on your side of things is huge. There's a massive pressure on you because yes. your name is the one that's attached to it. Yeah. And that you have to adhere to it. Otherwise, they will take that away from you just like that. They're not going to keep allowing you to train people if you don't adhere to it because you've gone down the correct route. Yes, you're more, more under scrutiny. Exactly. Whereas the people that are doing these hotel certificates mm -hmm. that are, you know, like you said, the, f the here for now people. Yeah. They don't have that pressure. No, and, they, and a lot of them... They don't pay taxes. They don't. They don't have the responsibilities that the larger companies do, and like I say, they're just here for now. They'll take the money. They shut the company down, and then the girls or you know males that train are left high and dry. Yeah, which is what happened to me. Oh, wow. So that story <laughs> that you've just said is exactly what happened yeah. to me. So the woman that trained me, she basically disappeared. Um, there was a load of complaints made about her. Yeah. Her qualification, well, these call, these certificates. certificates. <laughs> we, I call, I say, I keep saying qualification, but they're not. You're right. It's a certificate. All of them were re revoked after a certain date, and then what she then did was change the company name, and started up again. So, like you said, there's no regulation around that, and no. so that leads to these cowboy people being able to go around, keep changing the company name, running off you know, bankrupting themselves, starting again under any circumstances and anywhere. And nobody's going to know unless somebody twigs on mm. and says, oh, actually, yeah, I've, I know that that's that person. And even then, what, what, there's no repercussions. There's no, what can you do? Who can you complain to? You can. And basically, girls that are going into the industry just don't know. They're just looking at, um, you know, Instagram, social media and how that company looks. They're not doing their due diligence. They don't know how to do background checks. They don't look at mm. .gov. Um, they don't know what that person's done before. They're just thinking, this is a cheap course. I really want to get into aesthetics. I'd like to train with this company, but they cost more. So that's what it boils down to. Yeah, it does. Mm. It is. It's, it's about affordability. But you pay twice in the end. You do. 100%. I had to retrain. I paid twice. So I do understand that. And, and I think it, that opened my eyes to it because I, like I said, the course I did wasn't cheap. I kind of went middle of the road. At the point in time, I, I couldn't afford you, <laughs> but I wanted to. Um, but I also didn't want to spend £100 or £900. But you paid twice in the end. I did. Yeah. So I should have just come to you in the first place, which is a kicker because you think to yourself, why did I do it? You know, but you don't know. You don't know. That's the thing. And like you said, I would not have had any knowledge at that point. I do now. Mm -hmm. But at that point to think, oh, I need to do some research on this person because this person was recommended to me by so many people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what happens. You, your friends that are in beauty will call you up and say, oh, I've just done my Botox and fillers course and it was really good and, and I'm out on the road and I'm doing it. And then... They, they haven't got a clue either. Because they've got nothing to compare it exactly. to. Exactly. Yeah. You have nothing to compare it to because there is no legislation. There's nothing around it. So, you know, you can do it. Okay. And some people are so desperate to train in it. They see it's glamorous, the lifestyle. Mm. You know, a lot of girls that train in it, they have created a lot of successful mm. businesses. And it's the material things, the luxury that comes with it. Mm. 
Yes. And that's how it's being pitched at the moment, that you become an aesthetic practitioner, you're driving the Lamborghini, you've got the holidays, you know, yeah. and that's what it is. It's all about the lifestyle now. It's yeah. not about the safety or the ethics. Uh, that's what I believe. Yeah, and it, which is why you are now on the fence for everything I can imagine, because you see the change. Yeah. Because back in back when you started, was it 2013? Yeah, and yeah. I was really passionate and I would argue, you know, and I would stand up for the cause, what I believed in, because I was brought into the industry, so I thought that, you know, who better to defend it? Mm. And I don't mean from a physical way, but no. it was more like, you know, I believe in this and yeah. I think that I should do it. Um, now, I've created a business and the only thing that I can do is improve standards. I can, you know, offer longer accredited training and give the best training that I can give. But do I agree with it? 50-50 because of what's come into the industry I think it's wrong where you're going on Tuesday okay <laughs> tell me where you're going on Tuesday so um next week I'm heading back off to Cyprus which yep. is where I live yeah um I try and balance in between Cyprus and here but basically what I'm doing over there is I'm opening up um, a large aesthetic clinic on the new marina which is Iron Apple, not the old side this is the new side which is supposed to be like the new Marbella and it's absolutely beautiful I call it paradise <laughs> mm -hmm. um so yeah I'm heading off there because I've got a lot of things to do um I've got the launch of it in May so I'm going to head over pick the furniture meet with the interior designer get everything up and running and then I'm going to come back home and then back to cosmetic couture again how long are you going to be there for do you think I'm only there for five days um which is purely business and then I'll head back over in, uh, in August, sorry, I think it's May, and then I do six months. So you're going to split your time, are you going to split it 50-50 between Cyprus I do. I do that every year. Do you? Yeah. How do you find that? At first it was difficult because it's getting used to one country to another, and then before I knew it, I'm used to it. I had my baby there, um, I love the people, it's, um, it's a nice environment, and it's nice for your children to grow up in. Yeah, so I said to you before we started, my dad's from Cyprus, so mm. I'm half Greek Cypriot. So for me, for you being there is a lovely thing. Yeah. And it is a beautiful country, a beautiful island. It really yeah. is. Um, so you just mentioned your youngest was born there. Mm -hmm. How does your youngest, and, and you've, you've got a five-year-old as well, so yes. both of your children are really young. How do they find you... Like, how is it for them with you being such a busy, full-on mum? Because I can imagine that you are... 24 7 on the go i am um i would say i do have help with my partner i have a nanny who's the same nanny who the children love but i don't drink i don't socialize all i do is work and then the other time i split it between the children um my five-year-old he's in school over there and he loves it he speaks both languages so that's going to have its perks for me because i don't understand anything yeah that's really good yeah your little ones spend they, do they come and go with you when you come and go? So I know this time you're going for five days. Yes. But when you spend six months there and six months here, are they moving across with you as well? Yeah, I can't leave them. Unfortunately, I'm um, I'm a maternal mother. I can't, yeah. I can't leave them. So the longest I've ever left them for is for like four or five days. And I've only ever done that once. So this will be the second time. So I'm not looking forward to it. It's heartbreaking, isn't it, when you're yeah. away from them? Yeah, because yeah, you're just really maternal with them. I can't leave them. Have to ring them every two minutes and FaceTime them. That's so sweet. Yeah. Do you have any sort of so one thing that I have 
um, being a mum and running our own business is that I have quite a lot of, um, I can't, um, my brain's not working today, but maternal regret. I, I don't know if that's how you'd put it, but I feel guilty a lot mm-hmm. for not being with my children as much as I used to. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever have that kind of guilt? Yeah, more with the second one. But I think because I work from wherever I am, so basically I'm like the controller of WhatsApp messages. I have about 110 groups. And basically wherever I am, I work. So I don't have to physically be there, but I control it. Um, So I am with them. So as long as they're in eye distance and they're with me, then that's fine. But sometimes I feel mentally it's unfair because I'm saying, right, okay, okay, but I'm somewhere else. And I wish I had that breathing space but unfortunately with any business not just this you can't take your finger off the pulse for two minutes otherwise somebody else is going to take over which is true Mm -hmm. and also you we spoke just before Mm -hmm. um, the podcast and you said that you have your family as key components for your businesses yes tell us a little bit about that so I think with any business it's about trust so whether that be family or you know, members of staff that have worked for you for many years. Some of my staff have been there as long as me, 12 years, so that says a lot. Mm. But a lot of people come and go, and it's very hard to trust anyone in business. So I think whether you have family working with you or, you know, a close-knit colleagues that work with you, you need to have that in order for a business to succeed because it can sink you as well if you've not got the right people with you. It can. And you're a very busy woman. You've got so many things going on all mm-hmm. you know, at so many different times. Like you just said, you, you're running all these WhatsApp groups because that's how you're controlling everything. Yes. And without that, things wouldn't run the same. No. I mean, it's a joke at work that I'm the voice at the end of the phone. You know, yeah. from Cyprus, 100 groups. And um, what I do is because I speak to people that much, put them on fast forward because otherwise I'd spend the whole day listening to them. So it's a way of um, making the day go quicker. Quicker, yeah. But it's not easy. Do you ever feel like you have, you're going to go through burnout? Do you ever feel like the pressure is just a little bit too much? Yeah, very. But I used to do that in sport. So sometimes I switch the phone off a day or two, do something that I like to do, um, spend time with the family, recoup, and then I'm back to me again, 100 miles an hour. And I think... That probably happens every six to eight weeks. So I go at it 100 miles an hour. I have a little rest and then I start again. Tell me how you feel that you as a woman have been treat, has, has been treated differently to maybe a male in all of the aspects. So in the boxing, in the beauty. How do you feel that you may have been treated differently to if it was a man, if you were a guy doing the same thing? Um, especially in boxing at first you get treated a little bit different, but you have to prove your worth. So with sport, I would never back down from anything. So whatever the men were doing in the sport, I wouldn't give in. So that gained me respect. And then obviously training with them and not backing down, that gained me respect. But in the aesthetic industry, it's took time to gain a sort of respect. So sometimes medics will will be against me, but in a slight way, they respect me. But that's not for everybody. Um, So I think it's just about showing that you are passionate about what you do, that you've got good quality, good values. um, And then, yeah, people people do respect you, but it does take time. 
Yeah, I I mean, I I can see that it's not an easy thing for a woman to be a leader in anything as a woman. And I can see that you really want to be the best at what you do. I, I've always had that feel from you. You yeah. you always want what you always want to be the best, but you always want to be defending what you believe is right. Mm -hmm. I've always got that vibe from you. And I think that for for a woman it's a lot harder for a man. Mm -hmm. And like you said, people either either love you or they hate you. And there's kind of no in between. Because you'll have the group of people that really support you and will follow you no matter what. And they'll, you know, they'll, you'll, you'll be guiding them through their life, whatever their aspect of their life is at that point. But then you'll have the people that will be the naysayers and that want to have the nasty side of it. Like you said, like the trolling and all of that kind of stuff. How, do you, how did you deal with that negative side? Because it's easy to deal with the positive side. That's easy to deal with, but it's very hard to deal with the negative side of popularity and also the opposite of popularity. Yeah. Um, at the beginning, I never really looked at it because I was that focused in moving forward. I never looked. And if you don't look, you don't take it on board. Um, but as the years have gone on, the last couple of years, I've received a lot of trolling throughout pregnancy um, and the last year in business. And what it does, it takes you away from making positive change to your business because you're that embroiled with it that you've got, you know, it coming from all directions that it can take you away from your own business. So what you need to do is try and focus, push it to the side, and it is what it is. You know, it's how you deal with it. Um, you just can't take it in because it's too negative. So one thing I've learned about business and being in the public eye is that if you take on negative... Only negative things happen around you. I totally agree. Whereas if you take on the positive, only positive things happen around you. It really is very much as black and white as that, I feel. It is. I agree. Because it's so easy to let negative people and negative thoughts and negative vibes into your aura and it changes how you feel about yourself and how you can move forward, which is what you said. You became you focus on the negative and then you're not focusing on your business anymore. One of my daughters is 14. She's going to be 15 soon. And at that age, people, teenagers, male, female, they can have quite a negative outlook on life. Hormones. Yeah, it is. They're not, they're, they're not nice people at that time. I no. wasn't a nice person at that time. And I said to her... If you surround yourself with friends that are talking positively about other people, you will feel positive and positive things will happen. And it's the same for us as adults. When you surround yourself with people that are in your corner, that only want the best for you, that only want to see you flourish, it's much more progressive for you than it is if you surround yourself with people who are like indifferent they don't really care and they're they're stuck in their little circle that they were in 15 years ago and they've not progressed anywhere wouldn't you agree yeah i think any negativity you've got to get rid of it if there's anything like that it's not serving a purpose it's got to go yeah it really does make a difference doesn't it mm -hmm. in in every aspect of your life definitely even relationships Family members, staff, team members, 
it, you do have to make decisions and say, right, this is not working. You do because you're taking in, like you say, you're taking that negative energy in and then it has a knock-on effect. It's like the domino effect and it mm. keeps coming and it keeps coming in. So you just have to get rid. So we, you already said that you now don't really deal with that. You just kind of move on from it. But I know that you've had a lot of it. A lot of people have been nasty to you. They've been quite disparaging Mm-hmm. to you to what you do but you have always pushed through yeah partly because I suppose it's my personality to have a go back you know I think that's the sporting background but it's um yeah you can get to a point where you think you know what I've had enough of I've had enough of this I've had enough of fighting and it's just uh, it gets to a point where you just can't be bothered anymore and I think that's the point where I'm at now I just don't want to take on any negativity I just think you know, maybe it's somebody else's fight now, not mine. Yeah. You are Maxine McCarthy. You are Maxine McCarthy of Cosmetic Couture. <laughs> anybody in beauty knows who you are. Anybody who's anybody in beauty knows who you are. And anybody who's searching to be somebody in beauty knows who you are. So I think regardless of what anybody may say about you, one thing that they can't say is that you haven't worked hard to be where you are today. Mm-hmm. And that you are an inspiration for many people and you are very much a trailblazer. You definitely, you, that you set up the first course, you know, in regards to paperwork and, and setting the pathway up, weren't you? You set yes. that pathway up yourself. So you literally laid the way for all of the rest of us to follow. And to me, that's a massive thing. And I mean, I'm sure you're very proud of yourself. I don't look at it like that sometimes but you should yeah but when I do I look back and I think of the years of what I achieved each year I started off with an idea and then created a multi-million pound business and you know I am proud of what I've done but like you said and you know it's never been easy it's not come easy and I don't think I do get recognition within the industry because I think you've got to be a certain way and if I was me- if I was medically trained probably I might have got a little bit more but See, I don't think necessarily so, because if you'd have been medically trained, I don't think you may have gone down the route you went down and everything would have been different for your path. Because I know people who are medically trained who do training courses Mm -hmm. and they have academies and nobody knows them. The only people that know them are the doctors and nurses that go to them. And that's a very small group of people. And whereas you are known by so many people. But I'm always referred to... Like when the newspapers would refer as a beautician or a boxer, not a professional boxer, mm. not somebody who's got a university background, not someone who's educated. But that's because you're female. Yeah, they don't refer to me as anything. It's just, um, but if I had that qualification, then maybe they would have thought a bit different. But, you know, I'm here today. <laughs> yeah, and you've done amazingly well. You're opening up in Cyprus, mm. which is a huge thing for anybody to be do- having two businesses in two different countries. And um, and you're really a positive person for me to have on here because I think it's really important that people do understand that there are dangers in aesthetics, that it shouldn't just be as easy as it is and that, you know, hopefully there will be some kind of recognised qualification. I, I personally think they should have a university degree in aesthetics, personally. Yeah, a lot of people are running to university to do nursing. But then that's not fair as well on the NHS, mm. you know, that people are doing that just to get that qualification. But we do have Qualify, which is 
Ofqual regulated yeah. qualifications, level five and seven. So that's as high as it gets at the moment. Yeah. So that's really good. Mm -hmm. And do you do those trainings? We do. Cosmetic control? We do. That's good. Yeah. So they're not they're not easy to deliver. And I can imagine they're not easy to do either. Yes. Because you have to put your heart and soul into learning something on a level five or seven. You do. And also a lot of the girls who are going on to the courses, they don't have the academical background. So they're really struggling. You know, mm. to work their way up the levels. They've never they've never done work like that before. And that's the struggles that we've got as as tutors that we're having to support them throughout. It's not easy. It's not easy to del deliver and it's not easy for them to do it either. So what do you do to wind down? I um, train. <laughs> do you? <laughs> I do. Still do boxing every morning. Um, still go to my old coach. I do 12 rounds. Um hit the pads and every time I hit it, it's usually somebody in the industry but <laughs> <laughs> picturing a face on the pad yeah and I love eating um I do like traveling I was in Egypt not so long ago up the pyramids and you know I like my little breaks and I always bring the kids with us um but I just like spending time with like my partner um family and that's that's me I'm, I'm quiet these days I think though because you spend so much time with business and you've got family you, you want to spend time with them when you're not working. So it's, that's an important part of winding down. It is, yeah. And I, my circle's very small. It's family, my partner and children, and that's about it. And I think that's the way it needs to be, yeah. personally, from my experience. Because when you let too many people in, you get people taking advantage or they're, they're disingenuous. They're yeah, familiarity breeds contempt, as yeah. I always say. Yeah. Listen, Ma Maxine, it was absolutely lovely talking to you. I've really enjoyed it. I'm so glad I, I finally got to meet you. I'm like <laughs> like a little fan over here. But um, I do appreciate you coming because you came all the way from Manchester. So thank you so much. And um, maybe one day in the future we can catch up again. I think we will. Yeah? Yeah. That'd be lovely. Thank you so much for joining us on Emily Abraham Presents the Love Luxury Podcast and my amazing guest, that is Maxine McCarthy of Cosmetic Couture. And thank you again so much for coming down. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Maxine. Thank you.